Welcome to the Moms of Triathlon Podcast. I'm Allie Wilson, former college swimmer turned triathlete and full-time stay-at-home mom to my 20-month-old daughter, Beth. And I'm Amy Henderson, pro triathlete and competitive cyclist and mother of two to Oliver, who is three years old, and Margo, who is 15 months. This week on the podcast, we are very excited to share with you an interview. We interviewed Tiffany Carlin, who is a orthopedic and pelvic floor PT, as well as a mom to an eight-month-old daughter. Allie, what's been going on with you this week? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was good. We did Thanksgiving at my brother's house, so that was pretty pretty low key just my parents my brother and his fiance and us so nice yeah. were you able to keep it like low stress for the most part the actually the most stressful thing was that my uh, my brother's fiance they'd set out like this gorgeous charcuterie board oh but it was <laughs> like on the coffee table in the living room oh. and it's full of like nuts and like all these oh things Beth can't eat. <laughs> so like that was the most stressful part of the day was like keeping her away from that and like not letting, <laughs> like she can't really have dairy. Like we're pretty careful with that. So like oh, not yeah. letting her eat large amounts of cheese. And so we were, like fed her a bunch of fruit off of it. And we're like, okay. Oh my gosh. But, yeah, yeah. That actually came up with ours too. Like for the appetizers, they were luckily up high, but you know, it was things like, yeah, grapes and a yeah, lot of cheese, too. right? Yeah. <laughs> I made like a baked brie with the sourdough that my oh, mother-in-law bakes yum. and it was really good. I've never made it before. My sister-in-law sent it to me as like a thing on Instagram. I was like, all right, like we could make that. Yeah. Um, but Anyway, so then, of course, you have grapes and you're like feeding them to, you know, little toddlers. And like, so if I'm feeding Margo, I'm sort of can like, I'll bite it in half and give you the other half or whatever. Um, But yeah, there was an instance with a two year old getting a grape. Which, you know, if you're sitting right there, like one grape, I don't know. Like, I, I think I gave Margo whole grapes that night, too. Like, oh, here's a grape. And like watching her really closely to see that she's taking a bite, not popping yeah, it in her mouth. It. Or yeah. I would just grab it. You know what I mean? So it's uh-huh. like, um, but there was definitely an instance of like one of the cousins getting a grape, someone getting mad at someone oh else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So then I was the next, like later, like Googling, yeah, how old, like, do you keep cutting the grapes? What is the age cutoff? And then what the first the article, yeah, well, the first article was like two. And then the next one I looked at was like the American Academy of Pediatrics says four. I was going to say four is what I was thinking. Yeah. It's like popcorn, chips and grapes or something. You've got to <laughs> cut them until they're four. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, it was fun. Like the house had a lot of room for her to run around in. And so like, that was really good. But yeah, mainly the the stress was the fact that the grapes on the charcuterie board. And then um, at dinner, we were over a white rug. And I was like, mm, you're not going to get any cranberry sauce. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What we did like, you ever set up with at the dinner table? We actually for- brought her high chair. Okay. Which usually we don't take when we go places, but with her high chair with the big tray on it, like mm-hmm. it just contains the mess a little bit more. Cause we usually take her like bumbo booster seat when we go places, but that's mm-hmm. like, she's just like, it's a free for all that she can throw stuff wherever. So the high chair is a little bit, a little bit easier. Yeah. And do you guys ever use, um, so is your kitchen, you know, just totally like, you know, floors that you can clean. So you don't necessarily mm-hmm. use like, you know how we use the drop 
cloths. The mats, yeah. Yeah, the mats. We have that. Like, my parents have one at their house, um, but we don't use it at home, honestly. Sometimes I think about it, but I'm like, but then I have to clean this mat thing. So, yeah, ours are just hardwood floors. We just we just clean the floors, like, a couple times a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so. curious. For our Thanksgiving, we brought Margot. We brought Margot's high chair and the drop cloth so that like anything mm-hmm. she threw down which <laughs> she got we gave them some pomegranate seeds or her and like those were everywhere and i was gonna i've been contemplating if beth can have pomegranate seeds how does margo do with them fine yeah really no problem but if it was clearly like a- i give her everything so. <laughs> no i but mean like it's- chewing them but like they're not that big so yeah I think they're small enough. I don't know. Be interesting to Google. But um, yeah, and I even like she likes just having like she always wants her banana in the peel. And she likes having now like this morning I was peeling pomegranate and I gave her some of the seeds. And then, of course, she wanted the actual piece, which I've given Uh her before. And so I was like, okay, here's a little piece. And then she like eats them off of the rind. Oh, cute. So yeah, it's pretty cute. Um, And pomegranates are like my favorite fruit. So yeah, I I love them. I've only had one so far this year, but yeah. (sighs) Um, Beth's in that phase as well with the fruit. So like we have those little mini satsuma oranges where they peel really easily. Uh But if she sees me peeling one for her, she starts freaking out. So Mm -hmm. I like get it started and then she'll peel it. Then she like won't even eat it. But yeah, it's kind Kind of funny so yeah so that was thanksgiving um and that was the day we started the pt streak mm-hmm. that i was i've been fumbling through um <laughs> i get a text from you like every <laughs> night i'm so angry at you <laughs> <laughs> i know well it's it's not that i don't mind doing it it's that i forget to do it until i'm on my way to bed and then i'm like I just want to go to bed. Yeah. Speaking of which, I have not done that yet tonight. So I haven't either. And I was like, maybe we should just like. I was thinking we should just do it together. (laughs) We should just do them together. Yeah. Um, But I'm like kind of falling back to doing the same exercises. Like I kind of have like my circuit of like six different exercises I'm repeating. So are you switching it up more than I am? I mean, you've got more of an actual like shoulder, you know, PT specific workout to follow right now. Right, exactly. And I mean, and that's the thing when I had one night, okay, I had one night where I was doing it at literally 1150 p.m. So (laughs) I've been working on this, um, you know, advent calendar thing for the Uh grandparents. And I've mentioned how we have four sets of grandparents because we both have divorced parents. Yeah. And what I didn't quite realize, didn't quite calculate is that means 100 customized notes. For each day (laughs) times four, because I'm including Christmas Day, you know, just because. And yeah, so it's a lot of work. I've gotten three mailed off. Okay, so basically I have two and a half done so far. And then um, tonight slash tomorrow morning, I have to do the one for the parents that are in town so I can deliver it to them. And then I have to finish my, like one of my parents and send them the second half of their advent calendar. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, really set myself up for success there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so 1150, I was like doing PT. So that night I literally just did like hip bridges, clamshells, leg raises and honestly, you know, five minutes comes up pretty fast. It goes by pretty fast, yeah. Yeah. So if you're really yeah. just doing the five, it's not a big deal. That's kind of what I've been focusing on, too. Yeah. 
Exactly. And so for me, it's like when I have when I if I do my full PT routine that I have right now, it is, you know, 20 minutes or more because it's a lot of it's two sets of 10 for each exercise. Yeah, okay. And I've got leg stuff because of back issues and I've got all the shoulder stuff and it's like, you know, I don't know, just so many different exercises. And then the other thing that's come up is um, now I basically was I don't want to say diagnosed with, but uh, <laughs> tennis elbow. <laughs> okay. So I've been feeling this pain in my crafting. left elbow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, when you have a PT thing, you're like seeing a PT and then you have something else come up. And I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm like so obnoxiously like trying to like follow the rules that I'm like, uh-huh. I don't know if I can mention it because it's a different pain. And do I have to like yeah. get a, a referral? different appointment? I- yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I, in my PT this week, she was like, okay, we're going to do overhead presses. So um, I've gotten oh to the God. point where, you know, I had two pound weights in each hand. It was like overhead uh-huh. press. And I was like, Ooh, that reminds me I have this elbow <laughs> pain. Cause it, like sparked the issue I was having. Uh, uh And so she was like, okay, well, you know, change it, do the exercise in this way and then come over to the table and I'll take a look at your elbow. So we were talking about it and I was like, I don't know if it's from, I've had some exercises for PT where I have straight arms and I'm pulling a band apart. Mm, And so mm -hmm. I've wondered if, ooh, is that straight arm? That's not something I normally do. Is that causing an issue? But then as we talked through it, I was like, you know what I think it is? I think it's that for three years, I have picked up my babies primarily with my right arm. And then I broke my right collarbone and had to shift. First of all, you know, I didn't pick them up for a few weeks. And then suddenly I was picking them up basically nonstop with my left arm. And you know, that arm, (laughs) exactly. That arm didn't start from when they were babies and build up over time. That arm was thrown into the deep end with a three year old and a one year old. And yeah, I think it's actually been like an issue. So all the stuff, I mean, obviously we know our bodies are all connected, but it is so weird. The stuff that comes up from one injury to the next. Or yeah, it it is kind of weird. Like it's you, one of those things you get a knee injury on one side and you overcompensate and then you've got a hip injury on the other. Yeah. It's crazy. So very, you know, relevant to our awesome interview today with a PT. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Every time I go to a PT, I'm like, you're magic. You're magic. Yeah, I know. You know, they're friends. telling you something. I know. They're like yeah. explaining your my issues and I'm just like, wow, my mind was just blown. <laughs> yeah. The the one good thing I said to my PT, I was like, well, at least like it hasn't been bothering my running or my biking, so I don't care really at all. And she was <laughs> like, yeah, but what fine. about your day-to-day life? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it has sort of been irritating. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So it's nice to have, like, PT issues that, yeah, aren't impacting the training. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. But anyway, sorry, I kind of commandeered your what's been going on. So tell me (laughs) more about how Thanksgiving went and things since then. Um, Yeah, well, Thanksgiving was good. And then um, as far as the PT streak, like, you kind of touched on, or we touched on a little bit, like, the exercises we're doing. I'm, like, struggling to come up with different ones to do. And so I've mainly been focusing on hip stuff, but I have gotten back out actually knowing that you're doing shoulder stuff has motivated me to get out my, um, 
resistance bands for like my swim bands. And so I've been working on like the classic internal external rotator stuff on my shoulders, which I haven't done in years. And they're just like, they're easy. They're not challenging, but you know, I haven't been swimming all that much and they're always just really good things to work on. And so I usually wouldn't just mix those into my strength workouts because I always think of when I'm doing strength that they need to be like, you know, more challenging. And so I've just kind of been working, working these back in and yeah, my five to 10 minutes flies by pretty quickly. Yeah, that's awesome. That's such a good point. I know back in the day when I used to train like at a gym with my old coach, we would do so many of those good like oh, just rotation little movements. Yeah. yeah. And we would even this week, I got to start doing like a standard stuff with a band around my arms, mm-hmm. like arms outstretched, like some of that old shoulder strength that actually when I was doing it, I was like, I remember this from high school cross country. And, like, we would hold our tennis shoes and put our arms straight out and, like, put them in circles and stuff like that. And, like, yeah, I never do that type of thing. So I do – it is fun to remember all the – old stuff yeah so i've been doing that and i've been doing lots of like stability stuff because that's the thing i know i need to just be doing and i slack on so much of so just lots of runners touches nick like knocked me over the other day i was <laughs> he like walked behind me with a laundry basket when i was doing runners touches and he hit my up leg and like i just like toppled and he was like i'm sorry i didn't see you there like, <laughs> what so it was pretty funny and because i was already like grumpy about doing it because it's like (laughs) after 10 (laughs) p.m so i'm like you just added insult to injury on this but thanks so So. yeah have you been in doing any like dead bugs or hip bridges or stuff like um yeah i mix in some hip bridges um like single leg hip bridges i hate hip bridges i know they're one of your favorites they're my absolute (laughs) I despise them. Um, so I have been mixing some of those in lots of band walks. Um, yeah. and like, yeah, like hip, like hip raises, clamshells, reverse clamshells, stuff like that. Um, just like, cause I mean that all that stuff, all those little things. Yeah. Just, Another one. It. Well, one that I love is the, um, I always think of it as like the dog circuit. So, you know, you're on all fours and doing the it's sort of like a clamshell but like it's like the fire hydrant right? oh yeah yeah actually did some of those that was i did some of those yesterday follow it up with the straight leg kickback so it's like uh-huh. you know straighten the leg out and then and keep your spine straight doing it and then and then one with the knee staying at the 90 degree angle and kicking it up i love that little circuit and then the other one that's uh, another circuit that i hate but did in the in the day at the gym was it was sort of like the circuit of animal walks so like you know bear crawls mm, where okay you your knees are sort of hovering over the ground and you're crawling and then we would do inchworms so it's sort of you know you like oh, slowly yeah. go out I and forgot then about in. those and we would also do bear crawls sideways and mm-hmm. and forwards um trying to think if there's any other animals <laughs> but yeah um so those are some fun ones yeah, it's kind of been fun to like, uh, it's easy if I don't want to think about it, then I just don't. And I just kind of like, like the other day I did seven, five, five to seven minutes of runner's touches. That's all I did. But then other mm-hmm. days I'm like getting a little more creative, doing some circuits. They haven't been very long. I definitely thought I'd be more motivated to do more than like five minutes. But then, you know, 10 o'clock hits and I'm like, Ugh, guess I'll do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So 
haven't skipped a day, have wanted to skip most of the days, though. (laughs) So, But yesterday, actually, before my trainer ride, um, I was like, all right, this is going to be my warm-up. So I did a really, really good, like, 10 plus 15 minutes yesterday or something like that, just as a good little warm-up before getting on the bike. Yeah, I know. I've been proud of myself, too. I haven't missed a PT day either, um, as long as we get our PT done together tonight. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's been nice. Actually, for my PT, I don't have another appointment until like for a few more weeks. So I have a set of exercises. They're like sort of a big step up from what I had before to some extent. I even did a push up. (laughs) I was like at PT and I was like so... I can do planks and stuff, right? Because she had me do one exercise where I was on my forearms doing like a leg raise thing. And mm-hmm. and so she's like, yeah, you know, you could do planks. And I was like, when can I do? And she was like, you can do planks because they're, you know, sort of isometric, like you're just stable and you're not moving. And so I was yeah. like, when can I do push-ups? And she was like, you're probably fine to do them now. Like, do you want to try? And so I did a few push-ups. And I was like, okay. So, yeah, I feel like I'm really, you know, getting back into... I can now do like upper body strength. Um, You know, I've been holding weights for squats with my kettlebell and stuff like that and holding it with, you know, just my one arm. Also, like if I pick it up, like it's Mm -hmm. fine to use my right arm. So, yeah, so that's been good. So a few more weeks and then I'll have another PT check in. But I think this is the perfect time for our PT streak because this is when I need to be like building it up. So very good. Um, How often do you do push ups? before breaking your collarbone is that something you like work into your circuits pretty frequently honestly yeah like it is part of my like regular strength routine (laughs) okay yeah but that's basically you know what's been going on with me this week thanksgiving and the tennis elbow (laughs) um but one big piece of news that we've been texting about and talking about is the big iron man world championship news which we were talking before this recording and you were specifically saying, you know, you can't really say I want to quali- qualify for Kona anymore. It's like I want to qualify yeah. for Worlds. Yeah. Like 70.3. It's always been, you know, people say Kona and in triathlon, everybody knows what Kona is. But, you know, I think one of the things that we were kind of discussing about it is how many people are going to say, well, I don't want to go to Worlds if it's not Kona. So like, I'll wait till the following year when it's the men's or women's turn to be back on the island. And so I think that's, it's interesting timing too, because we literally in the last year have seen people that have qualified for Worlds to race in St. George and said, no, I'm going to wait so that I can actually go to Kona. So I'll be curious what they, you know, will they allow that I mean, part of me would think they probably mm-hmm. won't because the whole point is to take a little bit of stress off of the island. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, what are your kind of overall thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, the thing I've heard is that they may allow for the deferrals for this first year. So let's say uh, I don't think they've fully confirmed that, like, when or where different races will be but you know what i've heard so far is that it's likely that the men's race will be in september in nice france and then the women's race both pro and age groupers will be in kona at the regular time in october and i've heard that potentially they could allow for deferrals that first year for those men to defer to kona 
in 2024 um, because so many people have already qualified for Worlds for next year. Well, not that many. I mean, qualification starts in September. So September, October, November. So they may potentially allow for deferrals for those people. My thought is that like going forward longer term, as it is solidified where it will be and the pattern, um, one of the things I've always heard is like, what is Iron Man without Kona? Iron Man, like part of the draw to even race Iron Man branded races versus some of the local races that were Iron Man distance or I mean, now you have the PTO races competing um, mm -hmm. both for pros and for age group or attention. And of course, there's challenge races and stuff. And always one of the things that I've heard talk about is like the draw for Iron Man is Kona, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, only, you know, the top tier people in each age group qualify for Kona. So it is interesting to think about how much does Kona impact the lower, you know, end of the age groupers like desire to race Ironman versus racing challenge or some other option. But there's also just in general, yeah, the 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 lure of like calling yourself an Ironman and are you an Ironman if it yeah. wasn't the branded race, you know, so there there's other aspects to it as well. But I think this is a great, like, natural experiment, right? Yeah. If you have every other year that it changes, do you see fewer men racing Ironmans in the years that the men's world championship race is elsewhere and not in Kona and then vice versa for women? And, I mean, it'll be interesting data for Ironman to collect because then, you know, this is only really confirmed for the next two years and they're going to continue to, you know, make decisions and changes. And so... We'll see what what happens from there, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely a really interesting shakeup. Um, one thing that comes to mind when we talk about are you know are we going to see Iron Man numbers be lower for men on the years that they're not in Kona? But if that ends up being the case, and you know the majority of men end up racing on a year that it's going to be in Kona, then it would make them actually qualifying for the race more, more challenging. Exactly. And I did hear that on the a podcast I was listening to discussing it today is that it's going to be more difficult to qualify for the years it's actually in Kona is yeah. the hypothesis, which I definitely think is going to be true. And I think on the other years, it's going to be a lot easier to qualify for Worlds. And one thing that I saw in uh, Kelly O'Mara's triathlon-ish newsletter was a proposal that for those years, like, you don't want it to be too easy to qualify for Worlds, right? Yeah. So can you, would you then want to have a limit for how far the slot can roll down? You know, like it can only roll, like you have to have placed in the top 10 in your age group to get the slot. The other thing is if you oh, put a limit like that. Yeah, I see what you're It saying. could also go to the other age groups, right? Because that happens. Like if no one in a given age group takes it, it goes to the next age group that's like mm -hmm. deserving of a slot. So you could do that even if you put that limit of 10. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, Iron Man, if they're trying to make money on entry fees, they're not going to like... They're not going to limit it. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, as somebody who has raced, you know, a handful of Iron Man branded races, only in 70.3 distance, you know, someday I would like to do a full. Um, the change in the world's location for me, you know, I wouldn't... I mean, at this point, I wouldn't necessarily say that that is going to impact my interest in racing Ironman branded races. But I yeah. think when you go, I mean, you go to a local race, it's fun. Like 
you know, there's some, you know, even the half, half distance races and they're, they're big events, they're big productions, but there's just something about Ironman putting on a race and it's an event. Yeah. And I think to me, that's the difference. And that's my personal draw to them is that especially for like a long course race, you are showing up and it is a full day event and you could get that, you know, at a local race, even if you're going a long course distance, but there's just a different feel to it. And I think there's just kind of that Ironman magic. Um, You know, I'm not sitting here trying to qualify for Kona. I mean, maybe in my um, Mm fifties, you know, or worlds or whatever, but like that personally, I wouldn't say is going to defer me from doing those races. However, if I was somebody that was like, really close. And I've been fighting for years and saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to race in Kona. And that's my end goal. That could, you know, I might be really upset that that's (laughs) all of a sudden, if the year I qualify, finally, after how many years of trying, isn't where I end up going. You know, I could see that, you know, upsetting some people and people being like, well, fine, I'm just not, (laughs) I'm going to race not with you guys. So yeah, it could go either way. And, you know, I think it's gonna be different for every person. Yeah, definitely. All right. So this week, our main topic, we're super excited to have another interview. We had the opportunity to interview Tiffany Carlin. She is an orthopedic and pelvic floor PT uh, based out of Oklahoma. She has an eight month old daughter. And we got to chat with her um, a few days before she went into the Route 66 half marathon, which if I'm not mistaken, was the first half marathon she has done postpartum. Um, and, uh, a lot of what we chatted about was her experience training through pregnancy, uh, returning to exercise postpartum, returning to running. And she got to share a lot of her expertise as a pelvic floor PT. Um, and we had a lot of fun picking her brain on this topic. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So Tiffany, to start off, tell us a little about yourself, your family, and your daily life. How old is your daughter? What do you do for work? And what, if any, child care do you have? Uh, Yes. So I am a wife to my husband who's also a PT. I don't think a lot of people know that um, from Instagram. Um, He's not big on Instagram, so I respect that, you know. Um, And he... um, Anyways, we graduated together from PT school seven and a half years ago now, and um, we've lived all over the place, but now we live in Oklahoma, which is where he's from, and we just had our daughter in March, so she's about eight months at this point, and um, I'm trying to think what else you asked. Yes, so I work in an outpatient clinic. And it's like an orthopedic, typic, mostly orthopedic based, and I do the pelvic floor there. Um, but I also work with just your typical outpatient population as well, um, post-surgical pain, those types of things. And you ask, oh, my day-to-day kind of life is um, I work, currently I'm working part-time at my clinic, and... Yeah, so I, I work three days a week, and that's been a really good transition for me from before when I was pregnant and before that I was working full-time. So it's been a good transition. So I have two days with my daughter at home. And daycare-wise, we've been very blessed that my mother-in-law and father-in-law take care of Emma for us, so those three days. So it is a huge relief for us to not have to be paying for a daycare and those types of things. So, yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's great. Um, And did you have a sense going into, you know, having your daughter that you were going to switch to being part time for work? Or was that a decision that you made after? I always kind of wanted to do that. um, But I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. But as like, we as pregnancy continued and all that type of thing, it ended up being like, my husband and I both agreed, like, yeah, we want that. And, and like, that was a priority for us. So I always knew I wanted it, but it became a reality, like, probably about seven, eight months into pregnancy where it's like, okay, this is happening. So <laughs> work yeah. for you going into yeah. maternity leave that I wasn't you, coming back full time. <laughs> are you planning on going back to working full time at any point? Or are you going to stick with a part time for a little while? Um, probably stick with part time. Um I mean, someday, like when they're in school, like older, maybe. But honestly, even my boss said, like, you just seem like a lot happier, like working part time. Like this seems to work better for you. And I was like, I'm glad everybody sees that because I agree. That's really cool. (laughs) I don't know. It just helps me like, you know, some people love like love full time work. And like I work with some moms that are like, oh, I wouldn't want to work part time. Like they want to do that. And that's that's awesome. And that's their personality. But it was just like overwhelming to even think about for me personally. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And with your husband also being a PT, what's that like? Have you ever worked at the same place or do you now? And does it feel like you're bringing work home with you? <laughs> <laughs> it, so I love being married to a PT because we can bounce stuff off of each other. Like, of course, pelvic floor is different. We don't really talk about pelvic floor. It's so funny. I brought, yeah. anyways, we can get into that. But um, <laughs> he is very sports-based, uh, works with a lot of, like, high school, college athletes. He works with um, pro teams and stuff, and that's why we moved all around before we settled down. Oh, um, cool. So he's very different realm of PT than me, um, but I love being married to him because if I just can't figure something out, like – in regards to him being a PT, it's like, okay, I need your thought process on this. Or what would you do first? You know, that type of thing. And so we've never worked together um, in the same clinic, but we studied for three years together all through PT school. And (laughs) so I know the way he thinks a little bit as a PT. So that's really cool. When you went into PT school, did you know that you were wanting to um, end up doing pelvic floor? Or like, how did you end up kind of going down that route as um, part of what you were doing? Yeah, it's funny that you asked that in P- PT school, like, did not even cross my mind. So my, we have a long history of PTs in my family. Um, I think there's oh, seven cool. of us. Um, wow. My mom is a, is a physical therapist assistant, which, so that's very similar to a PT. Um, so she's done that. She graduated with that when I was in high school. So I kind of got to see like what oh, it was. Wow. Um, so I've kind of, my aunt's a PT, like there's a lot of us. And so... I knew I wanted to be a PT in high school, um, but then going into PT school, I wanted to work in a hospital setting when I graduated, which is what I ended up doing. Um, And it just kind of developed into all these, I ended up working in skilled nursing. Like I went through all the different settings and finally I was like, I'm going to do outpatient. My mom was like, I think you'd be good at it. You know how it is. Like you just trust your mom. Like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) And um, I finally like took the leap and went into outpatient and loved it. And she, she again was the one, I think you'd be a great pelvic floor PT. And I kept saying, no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't think so. And then finally I was like, but basically God just had it 
ordained for me, if I'm allowed to say that um, <laughs> here. But like he like it was just the perfect kind of combination um, where my mom really encouraged it. I started to be more open to it. And then my job was like, hey, we need that here. Like, would you be interested? And it was just like God's timing for, for in my life. And I love it. Like, I'm so glad I did it. So did you get the, like, is it like a specialization or like a focus? You, it sounds like you didn't do it in school. So how did that work? Like just program wise, how did that work once you were actually like already, it sounds like at a job and then needing to get an additional certification? Yeah, essentially. Um, so basically, you know, just like any other healthcare profession, PTs do um, CEUs, you know, but we can, like you said, pick a specialization and do all your focus CEUs on those. And then they basically, once you've done certain CEUs, then you can treat those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's kind of how I did it. Started just slowly taking classes. And as I was more comfortable to, to do it, I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like, let's bring on the, open up that, (laughs) open up that eval. I'm ready to treat some patients. So. Wow. I love that. I love also the way, you know, like you're saying, how your mom knows you so well and is helping like steer, steer you and open your mind to things that you would be so good at. That's so cool. I think I also saw on your Instagram, is your mom also a runner? (laughs) She is. And it's funny. um, (laughs) 11 years ago, yesterday, she ran her first full um, it was, oh, oh, cool. yeah. And I was like, Ma, I texted her yesterday. I was like, mom, you ran your first full 11 years ago. And she was like, that's it. It was, she's like, it, feels <laughs> like it was so long ago. So yeah, she is who got me into running too. So her and I are very oh, similar. So cool. <laughs> yeah. So what has your sports journey looked like? Um, you know, when did your mom get you into running and what was, what has it been like since then? Yeah, I grew up doing most sports, like when I was in, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, I actually played golf. Um, uh, I ended up playing for one year in college and then realized this is not going to like give me a career. So I had to focus (laughs) on school. Um, And it was funny that actually my sophomore to junior year of college, um, I had gained weight like you kind of do when you move away. And I was like, I'm going to try to run a 5k. And that's kind of what I, my mom was like, let's like sign up for this turkey trot and we'll do that. And that's what I ended up doing. Like I still, still remember the day I was in a walking class and I was, they told me I could run it if I wanted to run. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to spend this time running. I remember the day that I ran two miles without stopping, um, in in my walking class (laughs) in college. So, and I haven't stopped ever since. I guess that's been about 11 years now. That's so cool. That's like, yeah, that, that's just all like awesome. I mean, Amy and I have talked like you've got people who have been lifelong athletes, you know, and then you've got other people who get into sport later and just like everybody's stories are so different sometimes. It's just so cool to like, you know, totally hear a completely different story on, on, you know, how somebody kind of ended up doing more or less the same type of thing that you do in your life, you know? So right. that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So you have an eight month old. So what did any of your training look like? So, you know, you got into running and then you got pregnant. Like what kind of training were you doing going into your pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you have anything that you, any special considerations or any special focuses you knew, you know, did you know, be- you know, before you were trying or um, anything like that? So my husband and I, 
I'm a big planner, but he is kind of like a let's see what happens person. <laughs> oh, Amy and I definitely understand that. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, but I kind of want to plan, you know. Yeah. Um, but I've learned, I've been with him for 11 years now. I've learned, yeah. or 10 years or whatever, that you just can't force it, you know. So it's like, yeah. okay. So it was basically like the whole trying to get pregnant thing was just like, we're just going to stop preventing and then just see what happens yeah. um uh-huh. so nothing was formally planned so i besides taking a prenatal i didn't change anything before okay. we got pregnant um in regards okay. to training um and so then we got pregnant and found out in late june of last year and i immediate first question to my ob was can i run the marathon i'm signed up for the full and um, she was like, well, yeah, as long as you don't get too hot in the summer, like like running mm. in the summer. So mm-hmm. at that point, I was all for it. I was like, I'm going to run a full. <laughs> yeah. And um, at that point, when, how pregnant were you going <laughs> to yeah, be for the race? That, yeah. I was only going to be 17 weeks. So like in my head, okay. I was like, doable. doable. And it is doable. Yeah. It absolutely is doable. But then I don't know what exactly changed like in my, I think I just got a little bit in my first pregnancy, you just kind of get a little bit nervous about stuff and just like, was it really worth pushing in my head? That's how I w- my yes. heart felt, you know? Yeah. And so I decided to just bring it back and, and just run the half. And that made me just feel better that, because her, my, my OB and I had a lot of conversations. Like, she was like, is it worth worrying about it constantly? Like to run that yeah, full? And she was like, you do true. have the rest of your life. And so that just felt, made my heart feel better about it. Um, yeah. So... Yeah. I think that's so important with I had a similar experience in pregnancy where my OB was, you know, telling me not to ride my bike on the road after 20 weeks. And I was, you know, so like stressful making that choice. And, you know, of course, that's the recommend. My recommendation was the opposite of yours. But seeing so many people who, you know, pro triathletes and other triathletes oh are riding their bikes. Yeah. And yeah. but it was that same thing that it came down to for me was like. If I'm going to be stressed about this, if, then that's not that's not serving the purpose, right? Like I want to be, it you know, be fun. Yeah, I want to yeah. feel good about right. what I'm doing, and yeah, and that's kind of yeah, what it so. came down to. Like, could I have made it happen? Yeah, but I was like, I've done one before. I've done, let's see, I've done two before. I have the rest of my life to do one again. My mom didn't do her first one until I was in PT school, so it's like, you know, <laughs> why? I guess I kind of felt like, why make my body? my mind and my heart be stressed that if it's not worth it for me to do that personally. And I know a ton yeah. of people do it and crush it and that's awesome. And I'm right. all for that, but yeah. it just made me feel better to not, you know. Yeah. It, it's it. all, a, it's a trade off, right? Like, I mean, that's the one thing, I mean, we've talked about it in here, just like we talked about in general, like going into pregnancy, you don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Number one thing is listen to your body, listen yeah. to your heart. Like you, you will know what is right for you to do or not do. And so that's super, super awesome that you just like, just followed your gut feeling on that and, you know, ended up feeling better about it in the end. Right. Right. And I was still proud of myself for finishing that and like, you know, all yeah, that. That's really cool. So, yeah. So what did, what did training look like, you know, getting to the half? And then how did things go from there throughout your pregnancy training wise? Yeah. So um, getting to the half, um, I didn't take it as so I had like PR'd my half in May, got pregnant. I'm pretty sure like a week later or something. I don't know, because <laughs> I was pregnant a month later. So like, 
four weeks along, five weeks along, a month later. And, like, I had PR'd my half. Like, I had done, like, a serious training cycle of just, like, doing all this speed work, all this stuff. And um, the best I've ever felt and PR'd it. And mm-hmm. so I think I just decided, you know what, I'm going to bring this back. And I'm just, my focus was to stay strong because I knew, like, all these, all the pelvic stabilizing exercises and strength work I wanted to stay strong with while I was pregnant was more important to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I knew taking that, like trying to do train, like speed work and all those things with the half during the half marathon, like I would have, if I wasn't pregnant, just wasn't realistic for me to do everything else I wanted to do. So I just took it easy and just decided I was going to go do it for fun. My mom ended up running it with me. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we just went out there and like walked when we wanted to walk and just had fun with it. And so, um, that's how that went, and I'm glad that I did it, and we had, my my husband ran that one, all that stuff, um, and then after, I kept trying to run, and I did until about 26 weeks, and I went on a run, I think I ran nine miles that morning, and I felt, I'm pretty sure it was Braxton Hicks, um, mm-hmm. but it just felt so tight for like yeah. probably five hours after the run. And I just oh didn't feel gosh. comfortable like with, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I, I asked my OB and she was like, if it's lasting that long, like maybe you need to find a different form just to, to finish out the pregnancy. So yeah. I stopped at 26 weeks, even though I did okay. not want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you doing... Any other, like, exercises? Obviously, sounds like you were doing, like, pelvic floor-focused, um, mm-hmm. like, strength exercises. So, like, what what did that look like for you? And do you have any, um, quote, unquote, must-do exercises for during pregnancy that you would recommend? Yeah. Um, so, I also like to lift – like, that's my – that's, like, what my mom and I always say. This has become, like, everything about my mom and I. But that's <laughs> – <laughs> I, like, I talk about my morning. mom all the time. I know. Yeah. <laughs> We talk about, like, every day. We're like, well, what workout did you do this morning? Like, that's what we talk about. (laughs) Um, So we're both, like, to always say that, like, we can't get enough. Like, we can't get every type of exercise in that we want to because we like all different forms. Like, um, and so, like, lifting and hit work. And, like, I just love every form of it. And I just don't have time to do it all and the physical ability to do it all. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But so, anyways, I have been lifting. um for years mixing that in with my running and going through phases of lifting more when I wasn't training for something, that type of thing. So I kept doing my lifting. Um, and, and by that, sometimes it's barbell, sometimes it's just dumbbell. Um, but, um, so I continued to do that. I probably ran three to four days a week training like for up until I had to stop. Um, and then I lift probably, three to four days a week, um, okay. depending on, on that. And then, um, was doing some cycling cause I could still get my heart rate up a lot of walking as I got bigger, those types of things. Um, but the, in regards to like must do exercises, I guess, let me preface it with like, obviously everybody is different. Anything yes. I say is, <laughs> you know, like your body is your body. Talk to your OB. You know, I feel like I have to say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. well, then what if you just say some of your favorite exercises? Yeah. We'll just, yeah. We'll, so, we'll call it that. There you go. The little disclaimer, I guess. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so pelvic stability exercise or stabilizing exercises is what I like to call them, which is hard to just say like 
most like just saying that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and it's hard to explain it without like having a video to show you, but (laughs) basically a lot of like, I call it pelvic tilts where you're laying, you have to learn how to basically engage your really deep inner core muscles. Um, Mm -hmm. like your transverse abdominus, like your lowest level, like, like not your six pack muscle. Right. Um, and Mm -hmm. so to do that, I mean, it takes a lot of cueing to get somebody to learn how to do that. Um, but that's huge for being, keeping as much stabilization through pregnancy as we get more ligamentous laxity and those types of things. Um, because that's going to happen. Our bodies need that ligamentous laxity to give birth, but then that's how we end up with maybe some pain, some instability, those types of things. If we don't keep our muscles strong around it. Um, and so pelvic stabilizing exercises where basically like if you're laying on your back and your knees are bent, um, as if you were going to do a bridge. Does that make sense to y'all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, trying, if you're pregnant, trying to think about, I always use the cue of like hugging your baby, meaning like bringing your mm-hmm. hip bones together and contracting and getting rid of that little gap between your back and the floor. Mm-hmm. By And it's a small movement, but trying to tilt your pelvis back into the ground. Um, and it, again, it's hard to just explain without having hands-on or a video um, but that's like the one thing that every pregnant woman in my head, if, if I could have them on my table would be, we got to mm-hmm. teach you how to do this first. Um, because then we can add stuff to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think I know, I think I've done those for, you're basically like trying to get your spine all the way to like touch the floor the whole way down. Right. Yes. Yes. But without using like your butt, your glutes, without using your upper abdomen, Um, so it's, it's just a, I mean, it's a big muscle, but it doesn't take much to activate it. Um, but then adding in things like putting a ball between your knees and doing the pelvic tilt with squeezing the ball and working on your adductors or putting Mm -hmm. a strap around your knees and doing the opposite and pushing the band out and getting a resistance Mm -hmm. for your hip abductors, um, and bridges and stuff like that. And I always tell people like, we're trying to work every angle of your hip to work on, strengthening just around that that pelvis okay um and then i guess another kind of follow-up question of that is uh, i think amy and i've kind of heard different things on like that you should or should not actually focus on doing pelvic floor exercises during pregnancy and i think i don't know maybe you can follow up on that yeah my ob when i was pregnant she i asked her about pelvic floor because you know i had seen gwen jorgensen who you know uh, Olympic gold medalist triathlete who was pregnant like a couple of years before me. And she talked about doing PT throughout pregnancy to prepare for birth. Mm-hmm. And my OB was like, nope, you do not need to go see a pelvic floor PT before birth because then your pelvic floor is going to be too tight and that's what you have to push the baby through and you should just wait and focus on it after. So yeah. very curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. So and, and Allie, you may have been speaking, or both of y'all may have been speaking directly to like doing Kegels is what I'm guessing is what your OB was probably talking about because oh. that's what people originally think like, oh, I just have to do my Kegels. And mm-hmm. I always tell my patients like that is not the answer for everybody's problems. Um, but <laughs> the Instagram tells you that, right? TikTok tells mm-hmm. you that. Um, but the, re- I, the reason that OBs say that is because they – 
basically, if somebody has, basically, the term we use is a hypertonic pelvic floor. If you have a tight pelvic floor and then you start to do Kegels, um, you can mm-hmm. make it worse and make it harder to, to push a baby through. I mean, because if it, the tighter it is, you have a greater chance of it. Not that it's harder to push it, but just that it could rip, it could tear. Those type you could have, you know, a grade one, two, three tear, whatever, um, or require an episiotomy, those types of things. Um, and so that's probably the direction that your OB was thinking. But mm-hmm. pelvic floor PTs can offer so much more than just Kegels, Kegels. and making sure <laughs> we're doing Kegels right. Like I see pregnant women all the time um, just for pain and to teach them how to do their, this transverse abdominal contraction without even involving Kegels at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a proponent for during pregnancy pelvic floor PT because if you can figure out how to contract your inner unit during mm-hmm. pregnancy, you're going to get it postpartum significantly faster, which is going to help with so much. Um, well, let's talk about your actual birth experience, if you're okay with that. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of your early um, postpartum recovery. So could you share with us how your birth went? Yeah. So um trying to think like I don't ever know this is silly I feel like I should know like what is formally like I was in labor this long like I'd never really under right. like, when you start counting I don't know um <laughs> and so I worked out that morning it was a Saturday and I worked out that morning and um thought everything was just another day of being pregnant right and I went to Walmart that's like just getting groceries like nothing to do the lady stopped me at Walmart and was giving me a hard time about something in my cart and she was like well you're really pregnant you must be like hurting and I was like yeah yeah and you're slowing me down and that's when I was like (laughs) I was kind of like I if I'm like thinking in my head like yeah I am hurting like I think maybe something's happening like (laughs) and so I went home put the groceries away and like sat down and downloaded one of those apps to count, you know, your contractions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to see somewhat of a pattern, but it wasn't consistent, right? Texted my husband. He was he had a few patients that day. And I kind of said, like, I took a screenshot of it and sent it to him. And he was like, cool. I was like, no, no, I think that <laughs> I think I think it's happening. Anyways, I'll speed up this part of it. But um, how far along were you at this point? 39 and three. Oh, okay. 39 and so three. basically yeah. you were right there. Yeah. That's why I was like, is this going to happen or what? Yeah. Um, and so speed it up a little bit through the day, you know, off and on what's happening. I don't know. I think it's happening, but I'm not sure. At about 8 p.m. is when it hit me where it was like, OK, I had to stop what I was doing every time they came on, which that's mm. pretty much what they told me to be aware of like when you have to stop what you're doing that means we're for sure in labor um so I waited it out as much as I could till about midnight we basically were just like awake because we knew it was just a matter of time um midnight we were about five minutes apart and we live about 30 35 minutes from the hospital so I was like I think we should go like, we need to go. So we went ahead and went in, all that stuff. They did their normal thing. They'd check you up, you know, put you in triage. Thank goodness I, like, escalated a little bit in there and was dilated and all that stuff. And by about 4 a.m., they were like, okay, we're admitting you. Um, And so then they came in. They were like, do you want an epidural? And I was very, like, on the fence of, like, whether I was going to do it or not. But, like, 
at that point, if you haven't decided, it's like, I don't want to be in this game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to ask if you'd plan for one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, like, I, if you haven't decided, I mean, I feel like if you're not committed to the cause of not, yeah. <laughs> at yeah, that I mean. point, I'm like, where's the doctor? And they were like, exactly. 4.30 in the morning, and they were like, he's about to go home because this is the on-call doctor. Like, if you want it, oh you gosh. might need it now. And so I had to make yeah. a decision, like, on the spot. I was like, well, get him in here then. Um, yeah. So that was what I'm, I was most nervous about was that needle. And um, so they did it, all that stuff. I slept for probably eight more hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> and wow. she was born and the next day at like 2, 2.45 or something like that. So, Oh, my gosh. So did you just sort of wake up and you're like, oh, I feel some pressure? And then it was time um, to push? It, yeah. I mean, they, they broke my water. And then it was just kind of like slowly like, okay, it's kind of coming. And they, they came in, they're like, you're nine centimeters, like it's about to happen. And, so, and then I be- think about an hour later, they're like, okay, let's start pushing. And in my head, I was like, I'm a PT, I'm a pelvic floor PT, I'm going to push out mm-hmm. and like two pushes. Mm-hmm. No, it took me, <laughs> it took me two hours. And I was oh, crying because I looked, my mom's on one side, my husband's on the other. And I'm like, I should know how to do this. I'm a PT. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, oh, well, that can make us all feel better just yeah. because, yeah, yeah, it's not just knowing how to push correctly. No. It's also just working the baby in oh. the out out yeah so i was i was just my mom was like you can't even feel yourself like how do you expect to be good at this <laughs> so, so were anyway. you for your epidural were you like was it like high enough that you like couldn't feel anything or could you still kind of feel like the urge to push or like pressure and stuff like that um i probably didn't feel I was very lucky knock on wood if we have another one that this will happen again that i didn't feel like really much pressure until her shoulders were coming out like i mean i oh, felt okay. some mm-hmm. pressure but it wasn't like i had to say am i having a contract like do i push now if oh. the nurse oh, didn't say okay. so i i let whoever that guy was on call i need him back there if i'm doing this again <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay. yeah so yeah i wasn't i didn't feel much at all um so i was very lucky in that regard yeah, yeah I, have, I found or, oh go ahead Allie. I was gonna say I, that's definitely like one of the things we've heard or you kind of hear is that with an epidural it can take longer like pushing mm-hmm. time can be longer um just because you like actually your body's not giving you all those cues of like this is when you're supposed to push now right right absolutely yeah my epidural was definitely stronger with my second and I had to ask them I was like I know I've done this before but can you tell me how to push because yeah I'm, it doesn't feel the same this time and yeah I didn't have those cues so I really needed to be talked through it again well, yeah. and to add to all this um my little pelvic floor brain is going off every in between every push thinking okay I need to bring my knees in my feet out open up my pelvis all these thought mm-hmm. processes and the nurse is like can you stop doing that and I guess <laughs> I wanted to tell her like no this is like gonna help but I couldn't get it out yeah because <laughs> um, yeah. nurses in pelvic floor PT I mean we think differently like her job yeah. is different than mine and I'm like no this yeah. is like best for the bones like this is gonna open the <laughs> um, and then I was trying not to hold my breath because in my head I was like I don't want to cause a prolapse like I don't want to yeah. hold my breath oh yeah and she after an hour of pushing without holding my breath the nurse said I think you should hold your breath now (laughs) (laughs) and my mom said well fix your prolapse later come on (laughs) oh my gosh so it all worked out fine she came out 
So, (laughs) yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I am so curious about this part about what your recovery looked like and your Mm -hmm. return to run because, yeah, as a pelvic floor PT, like, what what is okay? I feel like I've heard so many mixed things about, you know, what the process should look like. And so what did you do? Yeah. So the first week I did nothing, you know, you're just surviving mm-hmm. with your first one. Like, mm-hmm. um, but then probably the second week I started with diaphragmatic breathing. So just working on breathing correctly, um, deep into your, like, I imagine air filling my abdomen, filling my pelvis, all that type of thing. Um, because I feel like we breathe differently when we're pregnant and we don't get a deep enough breath because mm, they're kind of yeah. squishing your lungs. So just starting with making and, and, and our diaphragm and our pelvic floor work together. So if we don't breathe correctly, our pelvic floor isn't getting the natural mobility that it needs. Um, so that's where I started. Um, so it's not like it's doing any damage to anything or just breathing. It's just that you're breathing right. Um and there's a lot of sort resources online to be able to see, like, what is diaphragmatic breathing. Um, so that's, like, the first direction I went. And then I, within that same second week, I started with those pelvic tilts that I was talking about during pregnancy. Um, and just gently activating my inner unit, um, my deep core. Because that is where I felt like it had to start to be able to ever take it beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. Because I truly believe a lot of pelvic stability, hip strength, inner core strength is needed before you can start running. Um, mm-hmm. And that was my end goal, obviously, getting back to running. And um, so that's where it started. And then probably, I don't know, I don't, again, this is like everybody's birth is different. So do what's right for you. But I did start lifting lightweight at three to four weeks. Um, nothing crazy, nothing like jumping, nothing like that, but I knew what my body could take. And so I was doing upper body stuff. I was doing easy squats, not with a barbell, but just with dumbbells in my hands. Um, thinking through doing my pelvic, like Kegels while with, when I rise up, those types of things, Mm -hmm. but nothing like over the top. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, just like getting yeah. some movement back. Getting some like, movement back. And yeah. walking, yeah, that was like a week later. I didn't even bring that up. But yeah, we started walking mm-hmm. like a week later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so then from there, I kind of in, slowly increased my weight, increased my time walking. Because my time walking on my feet, obviously, would eventually help me getting back to running. Um, once my pelvis felt, not pelvis, but... All that area felt good enough. I got on, like, I just have, like, a stationary um, cycle bike. So I got on that Mm -hmm. just to get my legs kind of going a little bit again. And I kind of ran myself through a return to running type of um, battery of tests, I guess, before I decided Mm -hmm. it was time for me to start getting back to running. The, all the research says, well, let me rephrase that. Not the research. There has been a few things put out there that you have to wait till 12 weeks. And I would Mm -hmm. say for your, this is for your average person um, that wasn't doing things during pregnancy, that wasn't doing their pelvic stability, wasn't doing things of that nature that, and after maybe your first pregnancy, it'd probably be a little more appropriate that there, Mm -hmm. it's not always cut and dry that it's 12 weeks. If you ask me, 
Some pelvic floor mm-hmm. PTs might say differently, some other ones, but um, in my opinion and from my experience, there's not one size fits all, even for returning to running. Um, I believe that they say 12 weeks because that's more appropriate for most people. Um, but I think it all depends on your fitness level before you're pregnant, what you did during pregnancy, and what you did for the first six to eight to 12 weeks postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um and so I started walk running at eight weeks. And I don't even know if this information is out there because I didn't want people getting all weird about it on Instagram. And so right. I don't think I was very open about it at the time. Yeah. But as I'm looking back, I like I agree with what I did for myself. And I know that that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it really isn't. And so I felt comfortable because basically there's these battery of tests, a lot of single leg stability tests. Um single leg strength all the way from the ground up. Like, can you do a single leg calf raise 20 times on each leg without Mm -hmm. pain, pressure, leakage? Those are the things that you're looking at. Can you do a single Mm -hmm. leg squat to a chair 20 times on each leg without pain, pressure, or leakage? Things like that. Um, And there's, I think there's 10 to 15 exercises that I kind of ran myself through and felt that if I can do these things, then I'm ready to start my progression back. So like I said, I'd started around eight weeks, walk, run, um, and just listen to my body in regards to that. It wasn't like, oh, I better get to three miles by whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Because I just, my biggest thing was coming back strong. I honestly just want to like give you a hug right now. <laughs> because this is like, Allie and I have talked about this on the show. And my PT said the 12 week thing. And I looked up the source, the like guide that they have to PTs. Mm-hmm. And I know, so I've seen like the list of the battery of tests and stuff. And I'm reading it and I'm just like, okay, but it doesn't feel like this is based on like, hard specific research that like the 12 weeks is necessary. Nothing in here is telling me that yeah. that has to be the absolute rule and so I really appreciate you know your perspective and again I mean I think it's you know I don't fault that type of guide for saying it because like you're saying that you know it's it's safer it's going to be better for more people but for some of us who you know are athletes and really are thinking through this and getting into the pelvic floor PT as quickly as we can like I think yeah it's possible to potentially progress faster. And again, for me, like I even did um, some test runs. I would run for like a minute and I was like, oh, I am not ready for this. Like I can tell that my pelvic floor does not feel strong enough. So even stuff like that, you know, you can listen to your body. But um, yeah, I'm really I'm really glad to hear your perspective. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. And like I said, not all pelvic floor PTs would agree. Some people are very Mm -hmm. hard on it's 12 weeks or bust, you know? Um, But I guess it's like if somebody comes in with knee pain and they're like, am I, should I not run right now? And I'm like, I'm not somebody to tell you not to do something unless there's a true reason not to do it. So let's do Mm -hmm. some tests before we decide if you can't. Mm -hmm. I think one thing, you know, for people who are listening to this, who, you know, might be hoping to run, you know, sooner, but still want to be smart about it. You know, I appreciate, yeah, the idea of like, not all PTs will feel this way. And so, you know, it's not necessarily wrong if you're with a PT who it feels like they're saying, you know, hard and fast 12 weeks that maybe you would want to like 
talk to someone else and get another opinion on that because, you know, like you're saying, it might vary a little bit. Right. Absolutely. And it's just like any other healthcare professional. Like, I mean, everybody has their own, we all learn these things, but then you have to make your own judgments in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the like battery of tests that you ran yourself through, was that something that you like wrote for yourself or was that like a resource you had? So where did you like come get that? (laughs) It's funny. Um, it's actually been like through, so I've had a couple people that I call like my, my pelvic floor mentors that like I've learned from and still do. Oh my gosh, still do. I still text them and like, hey, what do you, what do, you do with this case? Like I haven't seen this before mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and a few of the, like I found some stuff online. I was like, I like that. I agree with that. And then I've talked with one of them and they're like, well, we kind of, I like to add this in and just kind of like it ended up just coming together. Um, through it wasn't like a formal it's not like a formal thing you can find online right okay um but it's like what is as a pt you're thinking through what does a runner need to be able to do um like what we said single leg balance and you need stability through your ankle all the way up through through your pelvis right um and so it's based hopping from one leg to another, those types of things. And so basically a couple different, several different PTs with their thought processes all mixed together, making these exercises into a battery of tests. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I've definitely seen like some version, like I got some from um, my PT when I was trying to get back into running and she's like, here's like these six to 10, whatever exercises that you uh-huh. need to do. So um, typically speaking, when do you start seeing women postpartum, mm-hmm. um, to, to like, when do they usually come in just to start working with you? I have had people, so we, we can't do, well, let me rephrase that with a doctor's approval. Um, I could do an internal assessment before six weeks. Um, which typically an internal, I'm talking postpartum, um, like you said, ten, typically before six weeks, it's just, you know, we're on pelvic rest. We're just trying to recover down there. We're, there's really no reason for us to be trying to do any assessments at that point. Like your body's already going through enough. Um, so I like it to be up like six weeks or beyond because then we can get the full picture of doing an internal exam. Um, because okay. it's kind of like what you were saying, Allie, like if you're are you hypertonic? Like if, are we going to do Kegels and, and cause more problems or like, do we just need to do a lot of sh- pelvic floor stretching like specific or mm. do we need to do Kegels? And is that the issue or, you know, and so not doing an internal exam can cause us to potentially go the wrong direction with the treatment. Oh, okay. So six weeks to answer your question a little more okay. directly. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, um, that makes sense. Do you recommend that, all women see a pelvic floor PT postpartum, regardless of, you know, the way that they gave birth vaginally or by cesarean section? I, I mean, I, I always say, I think every, I think that should be part of like the OB's post, like discharge orders. Like, Hey, you're in six weeks, you're going to see a pelvic floor PT. And, um, we're trying to get that to be more, more of a thing here, um, in Oklahoma, at least in Oklahoma city, um, to make people aware, like when they discharge from the hospital, Um, but Mm -hmm. anyways, um, I think everybody could benefit from going even just one time just because I feel like I, I mean, not all, again, not all public floor PTs are like that, but I think I could get a lot 
of done. I can talk really fast if I have to in an hour to get it <laughs> to get them enough that they don't have to come back if they need it. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like, you know, you started your return to run around eight weeks with the gradual run walk. What did that progression look like over time? And now you're, you know, eight months postpartum and you're planning on your first half marathon this weekend. So have you done any other races leading up to that? And how are you feeling about this one? Yeah, so I led up, I mean, honestly, I, I in my head, I wanted to just like, formally do this run program and you know when you're pregnant you have all these plans and then Mm -hmm. you have the baby and you're like that's funny that I thought I was going to do all that (laughs) um and so I ran when I could to be honest with you I have a treadmill and so sometimes it was on the treadmill um sometimes it was with the running stroller and then if my husband was available to watch her like before work or because our schedules aren't always consistent, then I'd get out there and um, go without the stroller. But it it basically was, I was just trying to make sure I could run at least three days a week. Um, I did not follow a formal training plan because I felt like if I had, and I think y'all spoke about this one, one um, podcast in the past about how when you have like a goal, if you can't meet it, you feel kind of like a failure. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so it almost felt like if I made this formal, oh, I have to run this many miles a week, if I didn't get them in, I was going to kind of feel like I just failed. Um, Mm -hmm. so I didn't formally do anything. I had a mental like idea of how many I wanted to be around hit or hit or miss, um, until about a month and a half ago when I realized this half was coming up. (laughs) So Uh I slowly progressed up to about seven miles, Um, And that was probably, I was probably six months postpartum when I ran, maybe five months postpartum, Mm -hmm. seven miles. And then I stayed at seven miles for a while as my longest run, just because it felt good and it was just hard to find time to run longer. Um, And then about a month and a half ago, I realized, oh, like I have to run 13 miles in it. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, okay, I, I have no choice. I have to kind of build this up. So started building up. I've ran the longest I've ran since is 10 miles and now I'm running 13 on Sunday. So we'll see how it goes again. (laughs) It's kind of how I was when I was pregnant. Like, let's just try to go and have fun and complete the, complete the distance and, um, not taking it too seriously. And I haven't had any races before this. So this is the first postpartum race that I will have. Yeah. Awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah. I have seen that you do a lot of stroller running, which of course, Allie and I both do. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about if you would do a race with a stroller? I really want to. I want at some point to do at least a 10K, maybe a half with her. I'm finding it. You have to really find one that will allow the, the right. stroller. Um, yeah. I didn't realize like in my head, I was like, all the all of these races should allow a stroller and they do not. And so, yeah, um, which I didn't really acknowledge. Like there's definitely reasons to not have a stroller in a lot of races, but I, I just didn't think about that before I had the stroller. And so I do want to at some point, cause she loves it. Cause she's been in the stroller since, you know, the first week. Then we'd go walk. She handled yeah. it, did well with it. And so, well, um, anyway, so I want to just don't know when. Awesome. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. We have really enjoyed talking to you and hearing all about your journey and also getting all of our pelvic floor questions answered, which there are so many of. Um, so thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a pleasure and I've loved to get to know y'all a little bit more with being on this end, getting to talk to y'all in person. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that interview. Let's go into our closing segment for the week, our Go Mamas. Go Mama, Go Mama, Go Mama. <laughs> These can be any small triumph or a little win. Allie, what is your Go Mama this week? Um, so my Go Mama this week is an actual Go Mama. Um, so Beth is stringing two words together and um, like more and more, you know, Nine Nine Mama or like Mimi, who's my mom, she's like, Mimi up, you know, so we're getting a lot of the two word things together. And I've been trying for a while to get her to say go mama, but she wasn't really good at the two words. So today I finally was like, Beth, can you say go mama? And she said it, and then ah. I was so excited. So she can say, go mama, and then she just kept saying it over. Go mama. Go mama. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see if we can get a little clip inserted right here. Hey, Beth, can you say go mama? Go mama. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's my go mama of the week. That's awesome. Now yeah. you just have to try to go for another like run or walk with her and have her say go mama as you go. <laughs> yeah, I know that's that's the end goal. So um yeah. So what is yours this week, Amy? So we all know by now I am a big journaler. I've been, you know, reading back some of my old journals. Um love journaling, even though honestly I <laughs> do it it's so funny. Like I wish I were journaling so much more as a mom because there's so many memories every oh day gosh. that I want to remember. Yeah. But I actually journal way less. <laughs> but recently, there have been some nights when I, I don't know, maybe I wanted to write or I'm trying to remember what really inspired me. But I was like, Ollie. So, you know, typically our bedtime routine, like I give Margo some milk, then Nick gets Margo down and I hang out with Ollie and we do like books or playtime or whatever. And then Nick comes and sort of does like drawing time with Ollie and then cuddles with Ollie. And so, and we've also <laughs> sprinkled in there a little bit of playing with Star Wars Legos, <laughs> nice, <laughs> which has been very fun too. Um, but anyway, so one night I was just like, maybe I was wanting to write something and I was like, Ollie, do you want to journal with me? And we got my journal and like, you know, he did some scribbling and we ha I have some new like washi tape for Christmas and stuff, which is the cute little like, you know, you'll see it in like crafting stores or just other stores, like really cute tape with pretty designs, but it's, it's not that sticky, you know, it's pretty easy to like oh, okay. remove. And I always buy it because it's cute, but I never actually knew what you're supposed to do with it. <laughs> But our au pair showed me that, like, you're supposed to use it in your journals and, like, tape down photos or, oh. like, you can use it as little decorations on cards and stuff. So now I've gotten really into using it. So and Ollie is very into tape art and, like, taping things. You know, we get tape and just give him pieces and he can do with it what he wants, like, using it like a sticker. And so we did some tape and some journaling. And, and that was actually a few weeks ago. And then tonight... You know, Ollie comes and he's saying something and I couldn't really make out what it was without the context. And then I realized that he was saying, 
mom, I want to journal with you. (laughs) So sort of out of the blue, he was like, I want to journal with you. And so we came and, um, you know, I have a drawer of like empty journals. So I let him pick one out. Of course, he picked one out with an A on it for me. So cute. (laughs) But, you know, he like drew in it a little bit. And yeah, we did some, quote, journaling with a three-year-old who cannot write yet. I was going to say, can he (laughs) do like, letters and writing and stuff no okay but one thing i have been doing when we when we do it is you know i sort of ask him like oh ollie is there anything you want me to write for you oh okay I'd and then like i that. can write in my own journal even though tonight you know he said no so i didn't have anything but um the other night i think there was something i can't remember what it was so yeah that's my go mama that's super cute Well, that's it for our show this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We love being able to share with you these interviews and perspectives from other moms. If you have any questions or topics that you want us to cover, you can find us on Instagram at Moms of Triathlon or email us at momsoftriathlon at gmail.com.